A reading from the Mayflower Compact 1620. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God, of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage <clears throat> to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one of another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. In witness there whereof, we have hereunto subscribed our names at Cape Cod, the 11th of November, in the reign of our sovereign King, Lord King James of England, France, and Ireland, the 18th, and of Scotland, the 54th, Anno Domini 1620. A reading from the preamble to the Constitution. <clears throat> we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. A reading from Abigail Adams to John Adams. March 31st, 1776. I long to hear that you have declared an independency. And by the way, in the new code of laws, which I suppose it will be necessary for you to make, I desire you would remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. That your sex are naturally tyrannical is a truth so thoroughly established as to admit of no dispute. 
But such of you as wish to be happy willingly give up the harsh title of master for the more tender and endearing one of friend. Why then not put it out of the power of the vicious and the lawless to use us with cruelty and indignity with impunity? Men of sense in all ages abhor those customs which treat us only as the servants of your sex. Regard us then as being placed by providence under your protection, and in imitation of the supreme being, make use of that power only for our happiness. reading from Robert Kennedy's address to the Cleveland City Club. Fifty years ago, Robert Kennedy spoke these words. This is a time of shame and sorrow. It is not a day for politics. I have saved this one opportunity to speak briefly to you about this mindless menace of violence in America, which stains our land and every one of us. It is not the concern of any one race. The victims of the violence are black and white, rich and poor, young and old, famous and unknown. They are most important of all human beings whom other human beings loved and needed. No one, no matter where he lives or what he does, can be certain who will suffer from some senseless act of bloodshed, and yet it goes on and on. Why? What has violence ever accomplished? What has it ever created? No martyr's cause has ever been stilled by his assassin's bullet. No wrongs have ever been righted by riots and civil disorders. A sniper is only a coward, no hero. And an uncontrollable mob is only the voice of madness, not the voice of the people. Whenever any American's life is taken by another American unnecessarily, whether it is done in the name of the law or in defiance of law, by one man or a gang, in cold blood or in passion, in an act of, in an attack of violence, whenever we tear at the fabric of life which another man has painfully and clumsily woven for himself and his children, the whole nation is disgraced. Among free men, said Abraham Lincoln, there can be no successful appeal from the ballot to the bullet and those who take such appeal are sure to lose their cause and pay the costs. Yet we seemingly tolerate a rising level of violence that ignores our common humanity and claims to civilization alike. We calmly accept newspaper reports of civilian slaughter in far-off lands. We glorify killing on movie and television screens and call it entertainment. We make it easy for men of all shades of sanity to acquire weapons and ammunition they desire. Too often we honor swagger and bluster and the wielders of force. Too often we excuse those who are willing to build their own lives on the shattered dreams of others. Some Americans who preach nonviolence abroad fail to practice it here at home. Some who accuse others of inciting riots have by their own conduct invited them. Some look for scapegoats, others look for conspiracies, but this much is clear. 
Violence breeds violence. Repression brings retaliation. And only a cleaning of our whole society can remove this sickness from our souls. For there is another kind of violence, slower but just as deadly, destructive as the shot or the bomb in the night. This is the violence between men because their skin has different colors. This is a slow destruction of a child by hunger. And schools without books and homes without heat in the winter. This is the breaking of a man's spirit by denying him the chance to stand as a father and as a man among men. And this too afflicts us all. When you teach a man to hate and fear his brother, when you teach that he is a lesser man because of his color or his beliefs or the policies he pursues, when you teach that those who differ from you threaten your freedom or your job or your family, then you also learn to confront others, not as fellow citizens, but as enemies. To be met not with cooperation, but with conquest, to be subjugated and mastered, We learn at last to look at our brothers as aliens, men with whom we share a city but not a community, men bound to us in common dwelling but not in common effort. We learn to share only a common fear, only a common desire to retreat from each other, only a common impulse to meet disagreement with force. For all this, there are no final answers, yet we know what we must do. It is to achieve true justice among our fellow citizens. The question is not what programs we should seek to enact. The question is whether we can find in our own midst and in our own hearts that leadership of human purpose that will recognize that this short life can neither be ennobled or enriched by hatred hatred or revenge. Our lives on this planet are too short and the work to be done too great to let this spirit flourish any longer in our land. Of course, we cannot banish it with a program or with a resolution, but we can perhaps remember, even if only for a time, that those who live with us are our brothers, that they share with us the same short movement of life that they seek as we do, nothing but a chance to live out our lives in purpose and happiness, winning what satisfaction and fulfillment they can. Surely this bond of common faith, this bond of common goal, can bring to each of us something. Surely we can learn at last to look at those around us as fellow men, and surely we can begin to work a little harder to bind up the wounds among us and become in our hearts brothers and countrymen once again. Let us pray. O judge of the nations, we remember before you with grateful hearts the men and women of our country who in the day of decision ventured much for the liberties we now enjoy. Grant that we may not rest until all the people of this land share the benefits of true freedom and gladly accept its disciplines. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.